Hey, before we get started, I wanted to let you know that the Women's Social Club chapters are open now in Atlanta, Boston, Charlotte, Chicago, D.C., Denver, Jacksonville, Florida, Memphis, Miami, New York City, Pasadena, California, Wilmington, North Carolina, with multiple chapters in Raleigh, North Carolina, and the surrounding areas. If you're in those cities, come join us at thewomensocialclub.co. And if you don't hear your location, visit our website and click start your own chapter. We'll see you soon and let's get to the show. A woman in a position of power, it is your responsibility to lift others with you while you climb. We will be able to break these stereotypes that I'm supposed to be the mom that only picks up my kids from school so my husband gets to just do his job all day and not worry about it. It will be more equitable across the boards and it will make it so that more women can have what I like to call life-work balance. So I'm a hustler, dreamers, love dealers, I'm that kind of girl. Work hard, play hard, for my own heart, might just rule the world. Welcome to the Women's Social Club, a women-supporting women group where we make it easier to connect with new friends and our communities while supporting our local women-owned businesses. I'm Hannah Weisberg, founder and CEO of WSC, and today we're talking about the art of negotiating salary with Erica Rooney, Chief People Officer at Blue Acorn, keynote speaker, executive coach, and host of the podcast From Now to Next. You know, I've seen a lot of articles recently with titles like women are asking for more money at work, they're just not getting it, or why women don't ask for more money. I've also heard some alarming statistics like 60% of women say they've never negotiated their salary. That's not acceptable and it doesn't put us on an even playing field. But what can we do about it? We'll find out in a few minutes. For Erica, even though she's risen in the ranks and now coaches executives, she never really dreamed of a corporate career. I was that person in college that I got my master's degree and then I was like, great, gonna get my PhD now. And my advisor was like, Erica, let's just take a minute and think about that. Do you need a PhD? And I was like, well, yeah, because it's the best degree out there. And she's like, no, you're not gonna teach. You're not gonna do research don't incur the debt. And I was like, okay, fine. And that's when I launched into my health and wellness career, hit the ceiling very quickly there from a growth perspective. And I was in my twenties and I was like, am I tapped out doing this? Wow. And so that's when I kind of started throwing things at the wall to just see what I wanted to do because I had no idea, which that's why I also think it's hysterical that we're trying to get these college kids to decide their future when they're 18 I was out of college with two degrees and still didn't know what I wanted to do. But I got into HR and it translated really well because what I was super passionate about in health and wellness was helping people. So HR, I could still help people. And that was amazing. And I saw a ton of growth potential there, right? I mean, there's VPs in HR, directors. And I was thinking, okay, I've got some leeway up this ladder, but I still never ever imagined that I would be an executive. I thought at best, like the farthest I could see ahead of me was maybe a director level role. And it wasn't crazy. It's wild. And it wasn't until I was in a position where I had to make a decision about staying or going. And this will add in very nicely to knowing your worth that I reached out to somebody and he was like, I absolutely do need 
an executive HR person. Like, let's talk. And that's kind of when I was like, oh my God. Like, I can do this? Wait, I can. I've been doing this. And I can yeah, do then, this. Like, day to day, <laughs> it wasn't like this massive, crazy shift. It was just mainly like this title. Yes. You know, it's who I am. So it was very interesting. So was there any one person or one thing that taught you the most when you were going through this process? Like, did you have a specific mentor or specific lesson that really taught you a lot? I think I taught myself the most in the beginning. Like I was all in, I was going to take classes. I got a certification in HR. I was doing all the things, but I was very fortunate that my first role, my boss, who is and was a friend, mentor, she really broke it down for me in ways in which I could really understand because HR seems very textbook, mm -hmm. seems very black and white, but it's not. It's all shades of gray. And she would walk me through all of these different scenarios that would happen as they were ongoing. So my first jump into HR was very much a learning experience. And she was such a great guide. That's amazing to hear because I feel like, you know, we may not even realize the conversation that we're having with someone where we might be those people that they then reference that gets them over the self-doubt hump, or even if you still have self-doubt, you're just choosing to push the gas and go for it regardless. Um, it does matter having people see you and take the time to do that because, you know, we get in our own way super easily. Um, so that's encouraging to hear and that it was another woman yes. that did that for you even more so. Absolutely. So what values were kind of the most important to you when you were building your career? So as you started getting higher up the ranks, like, did you have a vision for, okay, like, as I'm growing, like, this is what's important to me? Not right away. Not right away. Immediately, I went after the title and the money, if I'm really honest. I mean, I don't blame you. You know, it's, it's what we're taught. It's what yeah. society expects of us, like going after the next thing and always chasing that next thing. Yes. And it wasn't until I was sitting in the C-suite with a C-level title and I had this moment of, I'm at the top of the ladder. I'm in my 30s. And I still don't feel this like huge sense of happiness and fulfillment, right? Like I've gotten married, I've had the babies, check, 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 all of these things. And that's when I really stopped and I did a values exercise. Ooh. This is what makes me laugh so much because every time you read about values exercises mm -hmm. in books, you hear about them on podcasts and I was always like, oh, that's so woo-woo, like whatever, you know? Yeah. And all you have to do is get this list of, 200 words and go through them and start crossing them off and then really narrow it down to three to five. And I just thought, well, that's such BS, right? Like, yeah. And it's hard because, for example, generosity is not one of my core values. That doesn't feel good to say. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it makes me feel like a bad person. <laughs> but my core values are growth, meaning I always look for growth. It's very important to me to help others grow. It's serving others. And I do that through, you know, mentorship and podcasts yeah. and however else I can share my knowledge, which kind of correlates to generosity, but generosity didn't fit. And courage. And courage was so important to me. And for me, that means doing the thing that you're scared to do. 
right? I was terrified to start my own podcast. I was terrified to be an executive. I was terrified to have hard conversations with people. So whenever I feel myself stalling, I ask myself, is that the courageous thing to do? And usually I know the answer. Yeah. But having those core values really guides you. And for someone like me that got caught up in the money and the title and I was making the cash and I had the title, well, then what? Mm-hmm. So that values exercise was so important to me. So speaking on that, has your personal life ever impacted your professional life or vice versa? I know having to quote unquote balance things, like you don't really do that. You know, some days things get 80% and get 20% and they flip flop. But has there ever been a time where your growth specifically has impacted you know, your personal, professional. Absolutely. So in the beginning of taking this C-level title, obviously an ambitious person and struggling a bit with imposter syndrome, I didn't want to let anybody down in my career. And it kind of forced my family to take this back seat. And I was putting on all of these unrealistic expectations that I would respond to every email quickly, that I would be at every meeting, that I would know everything that's going on. And that's just impossible, especially when you are at the sea level. You can't know what everyone underneath you is doing. But I didn't take that into consideration. I wanted to have all the answers all the time right away because I just felt this need to present myself a certain way. So obviously that put a lot of strain on my family. And this was during COVID when I first took this role. So we're all working remotely. I have kids at home. Very hard to shut the laptop and turn turn it off because mm-hmm. it was always there. It was on the dining room table. I could literally just da-da-da. so it was very disconnected from my family until I could actually level set with myself. And as I have grown and shifted in my role and gotten more comfortable with all of that, the way my personal life impacts my work is something that I'm actually very proud of, and I hone in on and really use it to kind of drive forwards equality for women. And what I mean by that is I still work remote. My office is the playroom. There are always toys behind me. And after three o'clock, there's usually a kid or two behind me. I do not blur out the background. I do not clean up after any of that. I let everybody see me in my, you know, quote unquote, natural habitat because my family does come first as they should. They didn't before. And now I'm putting them in the place that they should be. People know that if they call me after three o'clock, they're probably going to hear a kid or two in the background. They know that if they need to have the serious conversation with me, it needs to be during those school hours. And they also know that like, that's my real life. So just yesterday, I took both my kids and myself to the dentist at four o'clock. I make that very publicly known. So I put in my Slack channels, hey guys, I'm taking the kids to the dentist you know, if you need me, text me. Mm -hmm. There's no excuses about where I'm going. There's no covering it up. Um, And that was one thing that I felt really passionate about because when I was lower level in my career, I would be like, I have a meeting. Yeah. Yeah. So many things I would, oh, sorry, I couldn't answer. And I always felt like I had to lie. Yeah. And that didn't feel good. And I have a team full of women under me. Some of them have kids, some of them don't. But I don't ever want them to feel like they can't show up as their whole selves, which is being a mom. Mm -hmm. So we have this wonderful team. They all the time will tell me, I've got to go take care of a kid or I have a play or whatever. And I'm like, great. You know how to get the work done. Just get it done. 
but they feel that comfort and confidence in doing it because that's how I lead. That's amazing. And it does actually produce a more productive work environment. If even, I mean, I feel like even as women, like we're super productive in a really short amount of time if we have a lot of support. Like if we have the right system in place and the right um, just encouragement around us. I know for me, I've had some amazing managers and I've had some not great managers. And it really has reflected in the type of work I do, like if I make mistakes or not, because when you don't feel like you can be authentic, you know, putting a mask on every day and working really hard, like that doesn't help anyone. No. And we hear a lot about psychological safety in the workplace, and that just breaks down to the trust in people. And back when I was lying about leaving for kid plays and things like that, I never had the discussion with my manager, who was a male who had a stay-at-home wife at the time taking care of kids. I never had the discussion with him to say, hey, look, it would really help me out a lot more if I could get out of here every day by four. But that's because I didn't feel safe that Mm -hmm. I could. I didn't feel that he would understand. And he never presented that it could be an option. So it's a two-way street, but when you are in a position of power, it's your responsibility to take that first step. Absolutely. So is there one idea that, you know, experts kind of in your industry at your level say that you disagree with? Oh, gosh. I've actually got two. Okay. (laughs) So the first one is about resumes. You know, that used to be the thing, and so many people still hone in on resumes, but I couldn't tell you the last time somebody actually looked at my resume. The last two, three jobs I've had have been all about networking. And I'm sorry if you're a resume writer out there. You're going to have to maybe find another source of revenue (laughs) because, yes, they are important. You want to have something to put in front of somebody, but they want to see how you present yourself. They don't care about what's on the paper. They care about what you're speaking, how confident you are. Can you solve their their unique problem? And their unique problem is not in your two-page resume. Yes. So that's one of the things. And then the other piece of it is, I'm sure you've heard of quiet quitting. Oh, oh, yeah. This whole phenomenon that people are no longer showing up and going above and beyond. Yes. Well— That is at the individual level. At the organizational level, I will call that quiet paying. Because if you're expecting somebody to go above and beyond in their everyday contract, right? What is in their job description? You want them to go above and beyond every day? How come payroll isn't going above and beyond every day trying to pay you for that? Exactly. So why why is it supposed to change on the individual side and just they're always giving 120% And you're just meeting expectations with the pay contract. So people will disagree with that because it is a pay is a very uncomfortable subject. But I called BS on quiet quitting because I'm like, you cannot get bad at people for doing the job you hired them to do. I mean, where's the lie? (laughs) Quiet pay them. Maybe then then they won't quiet quit on you. (laughs) Yes. That leads us directly into going into the whole negotiating and tips and tricks. So let's specifically talk through your tips and tricks for women to lean into when it comes to the art of negotiating their salary. So what is the number one mistake that you see women make when it comes to negotiating? Knowing their worth. Mm. Knowing their worth. And there are studies out there that show that women consistently underestimate what they're actually worth. 
Men go in there and they overestimate it. Women come in and they're like, well, take 10% off. So it really is just about knowing your worth and then adding tax. So where do you start when it comes to knowing what to ask for and how to ask for it? Here's the thing. Negotiating is anxiety-provoking for anybody, and especially for women, because society is really kind of ingrained in us that we need to make it nice. And we are very relationship-driven. So I don't want to put you out by any means, and I don't want to make you upset. I don't want to ask for something that you can't feel comfortable and good about paying me. So the first thing, especially when you're dealing with companies, is to really be a data detective. You have got to do your research. And it is hard because every single company out there has different pay structures, different philosophies. You know, their titles may not equal a title in the market. So even if you're applying for, I'm going to stick with my industry here, but an HR business partner role, that could be very high level at a Fortune 500 company. But that might not be very high level at a startup. So you have to really do your digging. And there are a ton of websites out there where you can start looking into it. You can see how much the company is valued at. But I encourage people to get really creative in how they find out this type of information because it's not just about the base pay. Mm -hmm. It's about all of the other benefits that are associated. It's your total compensation. It's your bonus amount. It's your PTO. It's 401k matching, equity, all of these other pieces that come together in your total compensation package to ask for. And if you go out there and you ask for a salary that, you know, might be great from a paper standpoint, but then they don't have great medical, there's no matching 401k, you only get one week of vacation, like you're going to need to figure out how to ask for more. But you've already put that number out there. So you have to be a data detective. And one of my favorite stories is when I was first breaking into the HR industry, I was offered a salary and it felt low to me, mm -hmm. but I didn't know how much to go in at. They were telling me it was their top and I was like, it just doesn't feel right. I didn't feel good about it. So I actually reached out to someone who had the person who had left that role and I said, I want to pick your brain Ooh. and they agreed to take a call. And I said, listen, I'm just not sure about this salary. So I just wanted to get your perspective since you have that insider information of is, is this the truth? Yeah. And I actually told this person the salary they were offering me. And he's like, that's actually 5000 more than they paid me. And I was like, okay, well, then they are at the top. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. But that was getting creative. I never would have gone into that feeling good about it unless I had known that information. Yes. And that's a unique story. I don't know that you're going to find that from anywhere else. But I really, I was bold in it. So when it comes to the number, like how do you present that number when you're interviewing? Do you wait for them to ask? Do you give a range? Do you lie about what you're currently making? What does that look like? So a lot to unpack here, right? <laughs> so number one Always, always, always try to let them go first. And I know that is not always possible because even in my own company, we try to get them, the other people, to go yeah. first. Because for us, we're like, hey, we just want to know if you fit our range. But in my team and with my company, we are very equitable. And 
So for us, we're approaching it from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. For people applying, they don't do that. But so if you can get them to give you the range for the salary, and there's a few states out there right now where it is required that you put the salary ranges on the job application. If you are applying for a company that hires remotely or multiple locations, that salary requirement is required to still be on there. So for example, my company, we're located in Raleigh, North Carolina, but we hire remotely. So all of our positions have the salary range on there. Interesting. Yep. So that is a pay transparency law that just passed as of January 1st. The other thing to note is there are also many states that it is illegal to ask you how much you make. So nobody should be asking you what you make. They can ask you, what are your salary expectations? Yes. So what do you expect for this role? But they cannot ask you, how much do you make? Outright. So that's important to know because if somebody does, you can say, you know, hey, I'm in this level role. I'm applying for a different level role. What I'm making now is irrelevant to the job that I'm applying for. Such a good point. So when people, like if you're in that position when you're interviewing and you just can't get them to give you a range or a number, one of the things that I love to say is like, hey, that's a great question, but I'd love to learn more about the position before I give you a number I'm comfortable with. That's Love that. That's one of them. Yes. Another one that I think is extremely important, it goes back to the total compensation, is again, thank you for asking. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear more about all of the benefits that you offer before I can give you a salary that would be meaningful to me. Yes. Because again, we've talked about 401k, we've talked about PTO, all of those things add up. And then the third piece of it, and this is an important piece of it too, is great question. I'm actually very interested to know about your company's compensation philosophy. Do you have salary bands? You know, how do you look at this? And if they can't answer that, then you kind of know that they don't have bands. They don't have a philosophy. They haven't put the thought into that. Yes. And so, but that's a way to kind of turn it around on them. Is now, if, yeah, if you do get to that point where they're like, we we have to have a number before we move in, mm-hmm. then you're going to have to give them a number, right? You're going to have to say, listen, there's still so much more to learn here. So I'm not firm in this number. When I hear more, I'll be able to give you a more accurate number. But right now, I'm looking around X. And give yourself a range and make sure it is not the bottom of your range. Yes. Because they're going to start below that. Start high. Yes. (laughs) Yes. To meet in the middle. Absolutely. And that's something where I specifically, I struggle with. I mean, even as like a business owner, the imposter syndrome, you tell yourself like, Uh, should I ask people to pay this much? But then it's like, look at the work you do and the hours you put in and the passion you put into it and all the education and work you've done prior to have the experience to give to them to have you there serving it up. That's easy peasy because when it looks seamless to people from the outside, like that is proof of how much work goes into it. Absolutely. And they're not just paying you for your 40 hours a week or for a fixed price job. They are paying you for the years of education, all of your past project experience, and all of those things bottled up into one person. Yes. So when it comes to equity, this is something that's a little new to me. I worked for a startup um, out of college and they're huge now. So I still have my equity with them. Um, And when it came to like getting paid in my salary, especially back then, I mean, I had no idea what 
any of it meant. So when it comes to equity, how do you know what to ask for there? Like how much of that should be taken into account when considering your annual salary? Does it matter the size of the company, like the stage of the company, things like that? Absolutely. Those two questions, put them on your list. Yes. <laughs> Those are very important to ask. It's important to ask, what is the company value today? What are you expecting the company to be valued at in four years? When are you expecting to go public? Right. And then also, again, go back to the philosophy. How have others in the, the company been, you know, provided this? It's kind of like the comp bands, right? Mm -hmm. what, are, what are the standards that you guys have? How do you decide who gets what options? And when it comes to equity, that is such an important piece of it. I mean, most people would be willing to take a slightly lower salary if the numbers make sense yeah. because that can pay off in dividends in the yes. future. I always recommend that people get with a comp specialist and then their financial planner. Those two people should be key in helping you figure out the number and your annual salary because you still need to get paid. You still need to pay your bills. Yeah. All of it's important, but- those two people can help guide you and can help you negotiate the things that are most important at the time. So let's say you go through this process and you've been negotiating and they just are not able to, maybe they're not at a stage where they have the ability to pay you what you are qualified for and you know, you know in your mind if you take it, you're not going to be putting your best work out there because you're not going to be motivated because in your mind, you're going to be like, uh, I shouldn't have taken this. I should be getting paid more. Should you be okay? Like walking away from an offer that isn't to your standards? Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to be okay with that. But this is such an individualized experience, like this exact moment. And you have to have what's called BATNA which is the best alternative to a negotiated agreement. So if I come up to you and I say, listen, the salary is 100K and you are making 200K. So 100K is really yeah. going to be a huge damper to your lifestyle. You need to evaluate, is this something I can do? Is this something I can do financially? Will I be able to support my family, right? If you have a partner that's a bajillionaire, it might be okay, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe you're in a toxic work environment and it's not worth it to stay because your mental health is struggling. There's no boundaries. It's terrible. So it's such a unique and individualized experience that you cannot just look at the money. You have to look at what is that next. If I do take this, what's the outcome going to be? If I don't take this, what is the outcome going to be? And sometimes it's status quo, right? Sometimes it's, I'm just going to stay here and keep doing my job and keep looking. And that can be okay. But again, if you are in a toxic work relationship or you have an abusive boss, it might not be okay. And that cut and pay may be exactly what you need just to get out of there. So you mentioned before resumes are not like the end all be all, but having something like you said to put in front of people and putting your best foot forward. Let's say you get a warm intro. They have something to send along so people can say, okay, they have this background. That's all I need to know. So do you have any tips for resume building? Like should people invest in having someone help them or should they Google around and just, you know, find ideas online? Like what do you think? If you are going for a very specific niche job or an executive level role and maybe you've never had an executive level role before, a resume writer could absolutely be beneficial. 
Again, a lot of it comes down to negotiation. I personally feel like resumes are old news, mm -hmm. but you do need to document what you're doing. HR is very big on documentation. <laughs> but put those numbers in there, right? Think about big impact numbers, revenue, EBITDA, how you're impacting people, right? And if you've worked for a big name company, they love to see that stuff. They've worked for Verizon or Nike or Wells Fargo or whoever. So yes, including those things are important, but I would say do not worry about getting any kind of resume writer unless you are going into a very niche role or an executive level role. Otherwise, you can just Google the heck out of a good format and you'll be fine. Do you have any recommendations for the length of your resume? Because as you get older, and obviously like we're in a different time now where people don't stay at the same job for 15 years for the most part, like people move around. Mm -hmm. How would you say to keep it short? Like, how much would you say to include for certain jobs? Like, would you really keep it short on the ones that maybe aren't relevant to the position that you're keeping, that sort of thing, or the position that you're looking to apply for? Let me ask you a question before I answer yeah. that. Yeah. So you hire people. Yes. If somebody gives you a name or says, hey, here's a resume. Do you sit there and read that resume line by line or do you go pull up their LinkedIn? LinkedIn. Exactly. Which is why resumes are going obsolete yeah. because everybody goes to the LinkedIn. Yeah. So keep it very simple. They can always expand in interviews and in conversations. Keep it meaty where it needs to be meaty. Mm -hmm. Okay. The resume does not need to be more than one page front and back. Nobody cares about your high school GPA anymore. Yes, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when it comes to emails, do you recommend cold emails or reaching out on social media like LinkedIn? Has that worked for people? Has that worked for you? Have you had people do that and to reach out? It's how I've got my last two jobs. Really? Absolutely. It was not through applications online. They did not even have these jobs posted. <gasps> Wow. It was because I reached out and I said, hey, I love what you're doing. Here's how I think I can help you. And both of those got me calls. One company completely created a position they didn't even have oh my just gosh. to get me in the door. So I absolutely believe in cold emails on LinkedIn, but you have to do it the right way. Okay, because of my title, I get so many oh, people yeah. reaching out to me, sending me resumes. Don't send me a resume and say, here's my resume. Do you have anything that fits my resume? Mm -hmm. I am not going to open that, okay? Tell me how you can solve a problem for me. Tell me something that interests me. And a lot of times what I will advise people is get in with people at the company by way of serving them. So for example, if I wanted to come work for you, I should not just send you my resume and say, hey, I have experience in HR. Are you looking for an HR person? Because if you're not looking for one right now, it's not even on your mind. Right. You've got enough going on trying to run a business that you're like, whatever, get this email, yes. clear it out of my inbox, yes. delete. But if I email you and I'm like, hey, listen, I found this article. I, I have seen the mission that you're you know, trying to accomplish here, and I thought this article would be really beneficial to you. Here's the thing that I love the most about it. That's going to catch your eye. And you're going to be like, wow, Erica just sent me this really cool article. I don't know who she is, but okay, I'm going to accept her request. You might even reply. And I tell people, keep that up. Keep a relationship, but see how I'm serving you. Mm -hmm. I'm giving you stuff that I think you might be interested in. And then when I get to the point where I'm like, okay, I am at the point where I do start wanting to bring on 
more full-time people, like we do need an HR role, like this, you will be top of mind because we already have that trust and that existing relationship. Absolutely. You'll have no problem reaching out and saying, hey, I don't even know if you're looking, Erica, but would you be interested or do you know anybody? Yes. So I've got recruiters all over the place who at one point have reached out to me for a role and you know, I've said it's not my, you know, level, it's not my type, I'm not interested, whatever. And they continue to send me roles and I'll be like, you know what, I know the perfect person, let me connect you. And now those recruiters and I have a great relationship. And so they know the type of role that I'd be looking for, what would interest me. And they are like, yeah, now I have one that might interest you. Here you go. That's amazing. And it's encouraging because it doesn't feel like a, a like steel trap that we can't penetrate. But it is about relationship first. I know in the club, like we lead with friendship first. That's like our mission. But so much of that turns into professional collaboration because women especially lead with relationship-based networking. Absolutely. And without that relationship, there's no trust. So that is so important. Um, and it's really good to hear that it does work on a cold email situation. So reaching out first, brand new. And it does take time. I think that's the thing. It's not the copy and paste and send the same thing to a million people. Like it's such a waste of your time. And it's a waste of the people's time that that are receiving that, I can tell you. And it's just, it would be better served you spending the time to be like, I am all in on these three companies. If I can get in with one of them and you just research the heck out of their mission, like you said, and you really pay attention to like, okay, well, they're doing a great job here, but I know I could kill it in this area. Because that's how I would be if someone reached out to me, like my background is marketing, for example. And so I do all of our marketing for the club, which is fine. But you were saying how you, you can't be in the weeds of the, all the things once you start growing. And right now I have a weed whacker. <laughs> you are in it. <laughs> so I'm just walking around trying to stay alive. Where if I found someone and I've interviewed people for marketing and, and I've had people help me on a contract basis, but I haven't had someone come to me and explain to me how they'll make it better or like use very specific client testimonials like, well, this is how they were struggling similar to you. This was a tactic we did. And I think some version of that, like these are the things I would try. And I want to say, if you are really serious about this, take a two-pronged approach. So the first prong is playing the long game, creating those relationships, fostering those relationships. But especially if you're doing this on LinkedIn, it's also creating your own personal brand. Mm -hmm. If you are just out there and you have a LinkedIn profile that has nothing on it, you are of no interest to me. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to go out there and see what kind of work you are doing. So for example, if you come to my page, you will see tons of things about gender equity and being a mom in corporate America and what that is like. And it gives you a sense of who I am as a person without even having to pick up the phone or reply to an email. So you may get that cold email from me that's like, hey, Hannah, I wanted to send you this article because I thought you might find it really interesting. And if it catches your interest enough, 
You might be like, who is this girl? Let me go check out her profile. And you will then fall down the Erica Rooney oh, yeah. spiral where you're like, oh my gosh, look at all this stuff she's doing. We could totally use this stuff and da 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 da, da. And it's going to grab your interest more. So you can't just be out there sending these emails, hoping that people will be engaged and grabbed by you. You need to captivate them through your own personal branding. So is there a question that you wish I'd asked or that we didn't cover that you would like to throw in before we wrap up? You know, I feel like we could talk about 27 different things for a whole (laughs) 10 more hours. Um, But I think the biggest thing that I would like to touch upon is that if you are a, a woman in a position of power, it is your responsibility to lift others with you while you climb. And it's not so much a question as it is a statement But there are so many women out there that do not have the abundance mindset that believe that there is only room for one at the top and there is a lot of kicking while climbing and we are not lifting other women up to the top with us. And the more women that we have in positions of power, the more equitable it will be over time. We will be able to break these stereotypes that I'm supposed to be the mom that only picks up my kids from school so my husband gets to just do his job all day and not worry about it. It will be more equitable across the boards and it will make it so that more women can have what I like to call life work balance. Yes, I love that. And having, like you said earlier, a safe space to feel like they can go when they have questions because we all have them, especially when you're growing in your career, you're doing things you've never done before. It's not weird to not know how to do something And it doesn't mean anything if you need to ask someone for help. Um, I prefer my team to come and ask me for help. Absolutely. And I think you should definitely look into solutions and try and problem solve, but creating that safe space. And I couldn't agree more about opening the door for everyone to come in with us because it is shifting. The Mm -hmm. tide is shifting and it is changing. Absolutely. So what's the best way for our listeners to connect with you? I'm all over the place, (laughs) y'all. I am very active on LinkedIn. So if you are on LinkedIn, which you should be, come find me. It's Erica Anderson Rooney. You can send me a message. Say you heard me on this podcast. I would love to connect. You can practice your cold pitching to me. And I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I even like to embarrass myself on TikTok from time to time. (laughs) And I do have a podcast. It's called From Now to Next. And it is the podcast that empowers women to get seen, get heard, and get promoted. So I would love to see you there. Thank you so much to Erica Rooney, who you can find at fromnowtonext.org. And be sure to check out the From Now to Next podcast as well. And a few ways to follow Women's Social Club. One, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. And two, you can visit thewomensocialclub.co and find the community that's closest to you. If there's nothing close to you, please let us know. And third, follow us on social media where you'll find clips of this podcast as well as Women's Social Club's events throughout the country. We're at Women's Social Club on both Instagram and TikTok and at The Women's Social Club on Facebook. This podcast is edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Hannah Weisberg. On behalf of everyone at The Women's Social Club, we can't wait to welcome you into our sisterhood. We'll see you again soon with the next episode.